that video, man, it gets me every time. I've watched it like 15 times and it still makes me, it gets me at the end. I don't know what that's all about. So um, hopefully today that you do get a chance to all those who have invested in your life, all the women who have invested in your life, you get an opportunity to send them a text, to give a phone call. And if you can't, just thank the Lord for the women that he's placed in your life. And uh, I hope you can do that. So moms, we, uh, we honor you today. Let's, let's thank moms today. Let's give them a hand. Well, today um, we are continuing in um, our series, The Whole Story, and uh, we've, we find ourselves in now the incarnation, so we are moving into the New Testament. And so this is how the whole story started. It started in creation, right? God formed all things, shaped all things, made all things. God created all things. And then it goes creation, patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Exodus, Moses. Moses, and they go through the wanderings. Moses dies, conquests. They go and they take land after land after land. They plead and ask God for judges. God gives them judges, and they run through a sin cycle. And so they're given judges, and then they're given kings. Kings, Saul, David, Solomon. And then after Saul and David, Solomon, there's Rehoboam and Jeroboam and the kingdom gets divided and prophets come and they begin to speak into God and the prophets come and speak and speak and speak and then the prophets stop because God stops speaking. There's no voice, nothing for 400 years. Between the Old Testament and the New Testament, 400 years of silence. Imagine in America, this period where we'd heard and heard and heard, 400 years, silence. But then God, he speaks again through another prophet. Prophet's name is John the Baptist. And then John the Baptist says, prepare the way of the Lord. The Messiah, the promised one, he is coming See, today, what we find ourselves is what we call the incarnation, meaning that Jesus, embodied in human form, came to earth. God in human flesh came to form. So one way to say this, we don't use the word incarnation very much unless we're talking about milk or other products. And so incarnation, right? Uh, that's not it, it's incarnation. And so uh, uh, other, other ways that we might say this. So if I went to a basketball game, and I saw a really, really good young basketball player, I might say, that kid is LeBron incarnate, right? So what I'm saying is, like, he was that good. He was really like him. But when we say Jesus is the incarnation, we're saying that, that Jesus stepped into, onto earth in human flesh, was fully God. So the incarnation, he was embodied in human form. And so Today, I'd say it like this. This is what we're going to be getting at. If you, if you wonder through the whole sermon, this, this is what we're getting at. And I believe this is what the Bible teaches about Jesus. And this is a life spent in pursuit of Jesus Christ is far better than all the riches and comforts of this present reality. I'm going to say it again. Now, you can speak back if you want to to me today, all right? You can say, uh-huh, amen, gotcha, right on, right? Whatever you want to say. So a life spent in pursuit of Jesus Christ. Now, church, hear me with this. Not doing things for Jesus. A life spent in pursuit of Jesus Christ. I'll tell you, this is what we need. We need some pursuit of Jesus Christ in this world. 
A life's been pursuit of Jesus Christ, intimacy with him, relationship with him, is far better than all the riches and all the comforts of this present reality. One more time. A life spent in pursuit of Jesus Christ is far better than all the riches and all the comforts of this present reality. I want to read to you from three sections of scripture this morning. I'm going to read from Isaiah 53, 2 through 6. Then I'm going to read from Luke 18, 31 through 33. And then I'm going to read from Colossians 1, 15 to 20. So if you want to follow in your Bibles, try to keep up. If you want to follow on the screens, good too. All right, here we go. Isaiah 53, 2 through 6. For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all, the prophecy of many prophecies in the Old Testament that Jesus would come, bear our grief, bear our sin on the cross. Luke 18, 31 through 33 reads, In taking the 12, he said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem. Now these are Jesus' own words himself here. And taking the 12, he said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. What was said in Isaiah, it's going to happen. For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him. And on the third day, he will rise. Colossians 1, 15 through 20. Scripture reads, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is, Jesus, is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Father, would you reveal to us 
all that you have for us today in this time together about your son whom you sent so that we might have life. Lord, help us not just simply recognize what he has done, but bend our knees today, Jesus, we ask in your name. Amen. Make an apology to all of you who are used to me having you stand. I simply forgot to. So hopefully we honored God's reading of his word. Next service, we'll get the full treatment. So, um, so a life spent in pursuit of Jesus Christ is far better than all the riches and comforts of this present reality. So the big idea, so the, the big idea of this whole thing this is the son of God who transcended time, who had been promised through the ages of his coming, whose promises had nearly been forgotten. And notice this, this is the end of the prophets, whose promises had nearly been forgotten at the perfect time came, came in humility, came in mystery. And through his coming, the necessary act of his crucifixion would come to actuality and life eternal would be available to all mankind through his shed blood for our sins. So where we find ourselves in the scripture is in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the incarnation. These are the books that are written to say, hey, he came. They're not biographies. If they were biographies, they would be the worst ever written. We have very little details about the fullness of the scope of Jesus' life. They are written for one reason, because there were going to be people that came along and knew it. God providentially knew it, and they were going to say, didn't happen. Jesus didn't come. This isn't real. And these guys were saying, no, 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 no. It is real. It did happen. He did come in all time in history. He is at the axis of it all. So in this reality, the gospels, Matthew, Luke, Luke, Mark, and Luke, what's that? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we see these things about Jesus. One, first, he came in the flesh. He came in the flesh. John 1.14 says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory by, we have seen his glory by the only Son, the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus came, he became flesh, and he was full of grace, and he was full of truth. We see this in his ministry. He loved, and he cared, and he came alongside of, but not only did he do that, he said, this is the way in which you come. You must come in this way. The Father is holy and he is righteous and you must bend to him. He will not bend to you. Full of grace and full of truth. Full of grace and full of truth. He came in the flesh. First John 1 John 1.1 says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, we have heard with our ears. We have seen with our eyes. We have touched with our hands. First John was written because there was a group of people that had risen up saying, this isn't real. He didn't really come. So John comes out of the gate and he says, no, no, no. I heard him. I saw him. I touched him. So I'm going to do a little illustration this morning. Mike McCartney, if you'd come up on the stage, please, sir. He doesn't know this is happening. Come on up, Mike. So that's what it looks like. Come on, man. Got to run. Got to go. We got a lot of time. All right. So, Mike, I just want you to stand here. All right. And so just stand. Just like, no, like to your side. I know it feels funny, but just stand like that. So, so like Mike wasn't on the stage, right? He came on the stage and he's really here now, right? Like I can, I can feel him, right? He's here. He's got ears. He's got hands, right? He's in the flesh, right? Like he came and like walk around for a minute, Mike. 
Like he wasn't here and now he's here. Like he's walking around. Right, Mike, thank you for the, the illustration. You can go on down. It's good. He just danced up on the stage, all right? So he came in the flesh. Like you can touch him. You can feel him. Jesus came. And church, hear me in this. This is getting pushed at you hard saying this didn't happen. I'm telling you, everything hinges on him stepping in. God coming down, coming on the stage of humanity, walking on this earth. God came. Jesus was God and God walked on earth. Not only did he come in the flesh, but he interacted with people. So he came into this world and it wasn't just this kind of like divine exclusion from humanity, but he did the exact opposite of what all of us would think divinity would do. He walked around. See, he was born to Joseph and Mary. He had a mom. He had an adopted father. See, he, there was these other people he interacted with, like guys like John the Baptist. John the Baptist he interacted with, and this is what John the Baptist did when he was confronted with the God-man. John the Baptist goes, whoa, you're asking me to do so, baptize you? I'm not even fit to untie your sandals. He says, Jesus, about you? Let me tell you this about you. With, when it, in regards to me and you, this is how it works. You increase and I decrease. John the Baptist, when he encountered Jesus, kind of had this moment of, whoa. I, I, I don't even know what to do with this. And he was the one that was prophesying, he's coming, he's coming, he's coming. He had 12 disciples, Peter, James, John, Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Thaddeus, Thomas, Matthew, Math, uh, Matthias, Simon, Judas, James, the other Simon, the other James. And so we have all of these disciples. And what he'll do is he'll walk with them. He'll camp with them pretty much most of his life as they go across the land. He interacts with them. They sat around campfires together. They told stories together. He would leave early in the morning to pray and he would come back and he would teach them. They would feed 5,000 and he would teach them a lesson. And then just a little bit later, they would doubt him and he would feed more people and he would heal and he would do these things. He, they saw all of this. He ministered to crowds, crowds of thousands. And Jesus was so disinterested with the thousands because he was so committed to truth that he would preach messages. And at the end of them, this is what it says in John 6, and many of them departed from him because this was a very difficult teaching. Jesus didn't tickle ears, but crowds would, would come to hear this message, this savior, this one who heals, this one who binds up the brokenhearted, who cares for others, who's coming against the religious elites. And speaking of those, he spoke to religious leaders. And he would say to them over and over again, your practice is wrong because your heart is wrong. You want the dot and the, the, you want every little thing of the law fulfilled, but yet you do not love God. And your, your dislove of God is through your negativity, it's through your condemnation, it's through your hatred, and it's through your hurting others and being exclusive. And so what he says to the religious elite is there is no place in the kingdom of God for those like you because your heart is disconnect from God. And ultimately, those were the fights that he would pick that would lead to his willful crucifixion on the cross. He spoke to Roman leaders who didn't know what to do with Jesus. They just saw an uprising of their own power against them. He spoke maybe most profoundly to cultural castaways, to the blind, to the hurting, 
to those that no one else spoke to, like a Samaritan. And this woman at a well who would have been the castaway of society, Jesus said, you are valuable, you are treasured, you are lovely, and you have a place in the kingdom of God. Jesus walked with people. He interacted with them. Matthew 8, 20, it says, Foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. In humility, Jesus walked on this earth and he served and he loved, full of grace and truth. Third, we see that his teaching was astonishing. His teaching was astonishing. He would confront, he would confront unbelief and sin and again, he says to these hypocrites, he speaks to these hypocrites who lacked love and heart and motivation for God. He would speak to them and his authority was astonishing. And they didn't know what to do with him because he spoke in, about the law in a way that no one had ever spoken. Not only would he confront, but he would call, he would call disciples. He would call men and women and children to give up everything, to take up their cross, deny themselves, and come wholeheartedly, fully after him. Not only would he confront and call, but he would proclaim, and the message that he proclaimed was the kingdom of God. Mark 1.15, it says, the time is fulfilled, Jesus' words here in Mark, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Jesus preached a message of the kingdom of God, the reign and rule of God coming to earth in men's and women's hearts, that God would reign supreme in our lives over our own, ruling supremely over our own lives. He, he preached the gospel of kingdom economics. To live is to die. To get is to give. To have peace is to surrender. Jesus preached the gospel of placing our faith in him, believing that this present world the most dangerous things are moths and rust because they're everywhere and everything is fading and you can't stop them. But there is an eternal reality that is real and live for that kingdom, not this kingdom. His teaching was astonishing. His divinity was defining. His divinity was defining in his life. He was unexplainable. He was matchless in his life. There has never been, never will be, never has been anyone like the person of Jesus. He was, his divinity was defining in his life. And let's explain that a little bit more. Meaning that Jesus would literally raise a little girl from the dead in her parents' grief. Like she didn't resurrect herself. He spoke her back to life. A man would come who hadn't seen for years and he would, touch his eyes and he'd be healed. The lame walked. The woman that was so caught in her own sin and adultery over and over was set free and wasn't murdered and killed. It was set free because Jesus covered her up and covered her sin up. His divinity was defining. There's never been, never will be. There's no one like him. His divinity was defining not only in his life, but in his death. That Jesus, in his death, willfully, willfully gave of himself for us. The Son of Man came to give his life 
as a ransom for many. Jesus gave himself in his death for us. His blood that was shed on the cross is the only blood that could have ever been shed to to free humanity from the bondage of their sin, of our sin. His divinity was defining in his life, in his death, and in his resurrection. And in his resurrection, he defeated death. Over 500 witnesses saw him post-resurrection. Jesus got up from the grave because he is God, and God has power over life and death. And his power over life and death gave Jesus the ability to have the power of resurrection from the grave. His divinity was defining. Without being divine, he would have not lived the profound life in which he lived. He would have not been able to die the death he died, and he would not have risen from the dead. Jesus is our resurrected Savior. His divinity is defining. See, he is our high priest now. Mark 14, it says this, I am, and you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. See, his divinity is not only defining his resurrection, but in his return. Because see, Jesus in this quoting, he's quoting Daniel 7. And in Daniel 7, it says, the Son of Man is going to come back on the clouds. And Jesus says, hey, you know who Daniel was speaking of way back then? He's talking about me. Jesus makes all these claims, right? All these claims, and they come fulfilled because Jesus comes back. So just so you know, one day, Jesus is going to come back riding on the clouds, and he's going to bring us back to himself. His divinity is defining. His sacrifice was definitive. His sacrifice was definitive. 1 John 2.2, 2, the scripture says, He is the propitiation for our sins, and not ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Now there's this word here, I don't know if you've said it much this last week, but the word is propitiation, right? It's not a common word that we use, and what propitiation means is appeasement or satisfaction. And so what this says is that Jesus, Jesus is our propitiation, meaning that he bore the wrath of God that was due us, and not only bore the wrath of God that was due us, but through that reconciled us to God, meaning that there was a wrath, there was a freight train coming toward your life and my life called wrath because of our sin. I deserve, we deserve death, hell, and judgment. And Jesus took those for us. He is the propitiation for our sins, meaning, again, that Jesus was the appeasement, the satisfaction that we could not give God, he gave God for us. And not only did he give God appeasement for our sins, but through his death and through his shed blood on the cross, we are reconciled to God. So it's like this, we did it last week, communion. Through his, through his body being broken on the cross, the wrath of God was poured out on Jesus. And through his blood shed on the cross for us, we have reconciliation to him. He is the propitiation for our sins. It's a good word, huh? Guess not. <clears throat> I can get down with that. So, <clears throat> so his sacrifice was definitive and last. His resurrection is our hope. His resurrection is our hope. So this is this... This, his resurrection, this is a statement over his sovereignty in life and death. Jesus, he really came. He really walked. He was really here. He drank. 
He ate, he talked, he interacted with people. He was really beaten on the cross. He was really crucified. He really died. He was really put in a tomb. And and he, he really rolled that stone away. And he really got up and he walked on this earth. Jesus is our, is our is, is, his resurrection is our hope. See, and this is a statement over the sovereignty of God in life and death. He is not bound by what we're bound by. And the reason God had to come is because we were bound in our flesh and we had no power over life and death. And only through Jesus and his resurrection do we have hope of resurrection ourselves. See, Jesus was sinless in character. He was completely divine, yet he was completely man. Jesus said himself, I am the resurrection and the life. By the way, he said this before his resurrection, and this came to be true. Jesus fulfills all of his promises. He never tells a lie. He never has. He never will. See, we have hope in life. And we have hope in death because of our resurrected Savior. So you may ask, how do I have hope in life today because of resurrection? Well, you have hope in life today in resurrection because Jesus is not dead. He is alive and he lives in us and through us. Through the power of his Holy Spirit now, he is an indwelling presence. Truly, truly, I say in you, if you believe in me, you will do the things I once did and do even greater because I'm going to the Father. Jesus says, I'm gonna get up and walk and I'm gonna, and I'm getting to the next week here real quick. I'm gonna launch a movement into this world like you've never seen before. And that movement is gonna be fueled by my spirit and my presence. And so my people, what you gotta do is you gotta decrease and you gotta let me increase. It's saying about you, this is about me and this is about my kingdom. You gotta die to live let's go and so Jesus what he's saying is resurrection in our life hope in life church listen we have hope in life today we don't have to walk around looking at politics looking at volcanoes looking at everything going oh man we're screwed it's gonna be bad Patty Fittler's gonna get blown up in Hawaii if you know Patty Dude, we have hope in life because we have eternal hope. If I'm taken today, praise God, hallelujah, I'm in heaven forever with Jesus. I am not bound by this earth. We have hope in life. And I just, I just want to keep saying this, church, because we don't. We don't. We, 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 we bother ourselves with the trite. We busy our lives with the unimportant. We, we really believe to live is to live life to its fullest. Rather than to live is to die and to consecrate my life to Jesus Christ, the one who loved me and gave himself for me. Reckoning ourselves dead and saying, Jesus, now your life in me. None of us are perfect in this. Church, I just implore us, what if it was just our pursuit? We'll get back to that. <coughs> I better calm down. I'm not going to be able to do the next service. So, <clears throat> but not only do we have hope in life, but we have hope in death. And I've kind of already talked about this, but just so we're clear, that because of what Jesus has done, you don't have to fear death. 
you don't have to fear the other side. There's a day that's gonna come. It could come like this or it could come in 20 years, come in 80 years. Some of you might come in 100 years. I don't know when it's gonna come for you, but there is a time where we're going to pass from this life into the next. And I've sat with a lot of people in that passing. And I've looked in a lot of people's eyes in that passing, bound for heaven and bound for hell. There's a hope in death. And those in the faith, we don't have to fear death because life has grabbed us. And when we have life, this life has grabbed us, it'll be just like going to sleep, waking up the next day, but this time I'm not gonna have a devotion with Jesus, I'm gonna be with Jesus. There's this interesting thing, I'm totally going on a tangent here, but Jairus' daughter, it's really interesting, Jesus raises this little girl from the dead and he says this phrase, awake my little lamb. The disciples will use this when they resurrect in the book of Acts. They'll say, awake, my little lamb, this kind of same language. And I wonder, <clears throat> I wonder, this is totally extra biblical. I don't know if it's true. I just like to think about it. What if every day when Jesus was on earth, God just said, maybe it's two in the morning, God just said, arise, my little lamb. And every day on earth, he just rose. And maybe that day, that first Easter Sunday, the father just spoke, arise, my little lamb. And Jesus rose up from the grave, defeated death. And what if every day of our life, we just woke up, served our father until that one day when we wake up in his presence, we have hope in death. So in light of all of this, Jesus is the last Adam not, the, not just the second. Paul says second. I'm going to correct it a little bit, right? What he's saying is Jesus is the last Adam. There's not, not another that's going to come. He's the final. The first Adam, right? The first Adam rebelled against God. The second Adam, Jesus, the last Adam, fulfilled all that was needed for our redemption and reconciliation. He was the spotless lamb. He is the lion of Judah. He's the prophet of prophets, the priest of priests, the kings of, king of kings. There is none other needed. And he deserves all of our devotion, all of our life, all of our worship, our mornings, our evenings, our days, every day, everywhere. Jesus deserves all of our life. Amen. Anybody with me in this? He is. He deserves this in our life. And so what do we do? Three things. Best I can make this out. Three things that we can do in response to who Jesus is, his incarnation, what he's done. First is to give up. Second is to give out. And the third is to give in. Give up, reconcile our lives saying, I'm done. No longer my life who lives, but your life who lives in me. Jesus, I give up, I surrender. See, I, I would guess if I asked a question in this room, is, is do you believe that Jesus lived? Do you believe that Jesus died? Do you believe that Jesus loves you? I think everybody in the room would go, yep, yep, yep. Do you believe you need faith in him? Everybody would go, Yes, right? Is everybody with me on this? Yeah, everybody would agree with that. So we all agree on this, but, but here's, here's the thing. Jesus wants to give up so that we can know him and he can know us. This is about a relationship we can have, and that relationship comes <coughs> by simply this. Us saying, Jesus I know you want this, but I've rebelled against relationship with you. I've fought you. I've rebelled against it. You are the God. You are the, you're the king of kings, the Lord of lords. And I'm really sorry for what I've done. It's repentance, making right where I have diverted from him. 
in faith, saying that I am going to live by your ways and your precepts, and it's going to take faith, right? Because this world tells us to go a different way, and we're going to look weird, and we're going to look strange, and we're going to look odd if we follow the ways and the teachings of Jesus. But what we say is that I am going to live by faith in you. Give up. We give out, right? We, we give out. We, we take all that we've been given and saying, God, everything I have is yours. All my time, all my treasures, all my talents, all of it's yours. Use it for your name. Use it for your glory. Let me live a life of generosity. Let me live a life of service. The son of man didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. If Jesus came in that way, how much more should I posture my life as a servant, live selflessly in the day day to day, live in generosity in all that I do? So when I'm sitting at a restaurant and I see someone and I feel something in me, like, you should buy their meal. What do I do? I buy their meal. And maybe I tell them, maybe I don't. I don't know if I should be, right? We follow the Lord in these things. I see a really nice parking spot up front and I say, praise God, you gave it to me. And I think, you know what? Maybe somebody else would like this spot and I'm gonna go park somewhere else. I'm gonna live a generous life. I'm gonna serve others because that's what my savior did for me. And maybe it isn't even for others. Maybe it's for you. Maybe it's for you to remind you that you are a servant, that you are not higher, that you are not bigger, that I am not bigger than anyone else. But we posture our lives in generosity because we have received the most generous gift of all. We give up, we give out, and we give in. See, Jesus will pray this prayer. In this prayer, in John 17, he'll say, Oh, Father, that they would be one as we are one. Speaking of his church. Now, I don't know if you value the church much. I would guess you do. You're here on a rainy, rainy Mother's Day. But what he says is you should give in to the body. That your gifts, your abilities, your strengths need to be used for his kingdom and his glory. And his church is the chosen vessel, and we'll get there next week, to accomplish that task. So for you, how are you loving the family of God? How are you caring for the family of God? How are you giving inwardly that the body might be built up, that when people see the North Canton Chapel, they go, whoa, that place is crazy. These people live generously, live in faith, they give to one another, nobody has needs. This is astonishing, this kind of community that exists at the North Canton Chapel. But I'm telling you, if we don't give up, if we don't give out, and we get, don't give in, one, We're not coming after our Savior at all. Now, I may be wrong here, but I don't think Jesus is because this is what he said. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Church, today, today, will you commit with me to give up, to give out, to give in in response to the incarnation of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who came, lived, died, was raised, and now is seated on high and is our eternal hope forever and ever. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Lord, we thank you for your son whom you sent for us. Lord, would you increase in us a heart of love and gratitude for what you've done? Lord, would our affections for you, would they be exceedingly beyond our affections for anything else? Lord, would you help us to live a life spent in pursuit of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And may we reckon serving you that it is far better than all the riches and all the comforts of this present reality. Jesus, today, today, 
Jesus, help us to commit to you in whatever way in which you've said, if it's for some to place their faith in you for the first time, for others to recommit their lives to you and your service, for others to respond directly and immediately to something in which you've spoken in their lives. Lord, help us not to leave this place disobedient. Lord, help us to leave this place in obedience. And as we sing this song, help us to respond to you, your nature, who you are, what you've done. This I ask in Jesus' name, amen.